Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. And so uh, we're starting a series um, that is self-explanatory. Uh, we're going to be looking at what it means and what it looks like to live contrary to popular opinion, that we are going to just unpack that and look at how that unfolds and what happens um, on, that, uh, on that front. And so let's just go ahead and take your, uh, your bullets, and we're going to lead off with this idea that as culture moves further away from life in Jesus, we must learn to live contrary to popular opinion. And I just want to invite you in to the, me editing this. As I was writing this lead statement, because we're going to revisit this statement, we're going to launch. If you've been around here, you know how we do it. Uh, for This is our launching idea for the next six weeks. And so as I initially wrote this, um, then my, my lead thought was going to be that as culture uh, is moving further away from the teachings of Jesus, that we're going to have to l- learn to live contrary to popular opinion. Um, but the truth is, is that for you and I, this isn't simply about the teachings of Jesus. This is about life in Christ. This, is, it's, this thing is not just about adhering to some wise old teachings. This is about receiving the life that Christ has given us and empowering us to live drastically different lives. That is what we're called to do, and honestly, that is what gets opposed the most. So I quickly just you know, erased and went back to that idea that as culture moves away from us living lives in Jesus, from what it means to just live our lives in Christ, then we're going to have to learn. We're going to have to get better at functioning contrary to popular opinion. Honestly, what this is is a bit of a reset back to the original Gen 1 Acts chapter 2 church because the truth is is that whether it was the the Jewish culture that they were birthed out of or the Roman-occupied region that they were there or all of the different places that Paul and the early uh, disciples took the message of Jesus, Jesus' message was contrary to everything that they understood. And these guys had to live in a in an environment, in a culture that was hostile to their beliefs. And we've honestly have had it kind of fairly easy for a long time, you know? I mean, we get persecuted for being called the Jesus freak or something like that. We get a little overly expressive about our belief in, in Jesus and, and our faith or that. But, but the truth is, is that the uh, uh, bedrock truths of Christianity have have been a part of the United States on some form or fashion um, for a very, very, very long time. Now, sadly, as a nation, we've not lived it out well. Um, but it's the truths of, have been embraced on some place. And for uh, a long while, uh, the church has been able to kind of just be in the flow of the way just society kind of went. And it kind of felt a lot like um, whenever I got to go whitewater rafting years ago um, in uh, Royal Gorge in Colorado. And um, that, uh, there at that river, it's got, a, it's got a 
big chunk of rapids and 20-something miles long and, and has cat five rapids that are just intense and you kind of have to have had some previous training and then it goes all the way down to where it's just, just kind of like floating along. Like you feel like singing, it's a small world after all. I mean, you're just barely poking along there. And, and so and everything in between. And so when, you know, you go to do one of these rafting adventures, you know, we're getting all suited up and they're giving us our stuff. And of course you give you get a life vest, you know, it's water, you know, you don't want to drown. So they make sure you're wearing your life vest and we get that, you know, I uh, want to have you, you know, that protection on that give you a helmet um, because you need a helmet on because those waters are churned up and they're rapids because there are obstacles that are unseen. There's stuff under there that is creating these different things. It's not just that the water decides to just get a little sassy on us and just kind of, you know, throw, throw some attitude at us all of a sudden. No, there's something under there that is pushing that water up, that is creating that white water experience. And there are these boulders that if you end up in the water, um, all of a sudden you are, you're a pinball um, that can drown. And so you don't want to hit your head and be knocked out in the middle of all that. And then your two granite cliffs are just there on each side of you. And so you don't want to get hit and hit something hard. And so kind of the mentality, the win. You sign up for one of these things, the win. Um, and of course, you're, you're given your little oar um, to be able to... Um, to be able to paddle along a little bit and, and uh, do your part. And the win is to, to stay on top of the water, not get flipped, um, stay in the boat, uh, do as little as possible because somebody's telling you what to do and you only do it if you're told to do it, um, and then not get your head smashed on something hard. And that's the win. You, you make it to, the, to where you get off your little raft and that's the win. And for so long, the church in the U.S. has kind of had that deal. We'll just kind of float along with the direction of culture. We'll just kind of float along. We'll just barely be above it. As long as we're just feeling like we're okay, we're rising above it. We're huddled together. We're going to do as little as possible. And if we can just not get a head wound, we're going to be all right. And that has been the church's thought for so long. But the truth is, is that that culture and things are shifting and going in a complete different direction. And we can't walk out this generation. We can't walk it out in America the way it was walked out in previous generations. We just can't. I'm sorry. That season's over. It's gone. And so we have to learn to live contrary, going against the flow. We have to learn to go in a different direction. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, um, Paul is coaching the Roman believers. He's, these are people who live in Rome. Rome, powerful, self-centered, dominating at all costs Rome. And here are believers who are called to love like Jesus. And he tells them this in verse 2 of chapter 12. He says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's two options here. There's the option to conform or the option to be transformed. That's, that's it. There's not a middle option that says, I'm just going to chill. You know, um, I'm just going to have a snack and I'm just going to let everything happen and I'm not going to do either. No, you're either going to be transformed or you're going to conform. That's the way this is going to go. And where does the transformation happen? It happens in the way we think. 
It happens in that space. So where does being conformed happen? It happens in the same place. It happens in the way we think. And it begins to shift how we think, how we make decisions, what we value, what we don't value, all of those different things. And Jesus understood that there were going to be these pressures. In fact, in his longest recorded prayer, found in John chapter 17, he prayed for a lot of different things. But he prayed for you and I. He prayed for future believers, for all those who would believe based on their word. As he's praying for his immediate disciples. Guess what? That's you and I. We believe because that word has gone forward and moved forward. And so here in uh, verse 15, it says, uh, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you'd protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Being able to go contrary to to public opinion starts with understanding this is not our final home. This is not where we're from. We are citizens of heaven, and if you don't embrace that you are a citizen of heaven, all of a sudden, it'll feel a little weird that you don't go with the flow here a little better. Now, when you uh, decide to get your passport ready and you're going to go to a foreign culture and you're going to get your bags packed and, and load up, get on a plane and go somewhere else, okay? And if I'm going to do that, I want to be able to speak the language, okay? So I'm going to go someplace where they speak English. And sadly, they don't do it like good old West Texan, do it right. And so you have to say right. And so um, those people don't speak right. And um, so maybe go to Scotland, okay? You go to Scotland, they speak some kind of English, you know? Uh, You can decipher it here and there. And you go over there, and you know what? If you go over to Scotland, we're not going to feel overly self-conscious about our West Texas drawl because we're not from there. We're from West Texas. We're citizens of another country. The fact that I speak a little differently is because it marks me that I'm from somewhere else. I'm from somewhere else, but all of a sudden, if I decide that I'm going to live in that space permanently, I'm just going to decide to move to Scotland, then all of a sudden, it actually begins what was so natural whenever I knew where my home or where my base was. When I changed my base, all of a sudden, for me to keep my West Texas draw, I'd have to work on it. Now, folks, Texas gets deep in your heart, okay? We're deep in the heart of Texas, and Texas is deep in the heart of us. It's just the way it goes. And so, um, and it would never go away. I, I would never sound Scottish ever. I could live there till I'm 100. I'd never sound Scottish. But you know what I would? I would sound less Texan. Time would just make me where it would just go, you're not from around here. Where are you from? But when I stepped off the plane, they're going to go, do you know John Wayne? I mean, like, <laughs> do you have a horse, <laughs> you know? Uh, you're obviously from Texas. You must have like an oil well. And I'm like, I wish. You know, I, I do not have an oil well. And so, uh, but all of a sudden, they immediately began to, just based on me responding from where I'm from, Jesus prayed. It's like, we're not going to be taken out of here. Why? Because this is where we have impact. Praise God, the believer who impacted your life was here to impact your life. Thank God for that. And now you're here to impact someone else's life. He's like, I don't want them taken out, but I want them protected. This is Jesus praying to the Father that we would be able to be here, function here, go contrary to 
public opinion and popular opinion and be protected in that. Do you think that's a prayer that might get answered? That if Jesus prayed it to the Father that we would be able to do that, do you think you could boldly step into the idea that I can live contrary to popular opinion? Jesus has is, Jesus is already seated this in prayer himself, and I can actually begin to do this and not have to worry about being protected in this space. But I have to be conscious. I have to live in a space I'm conscious of where I'm from. Well, we're going to spend the next six weeks looking at a book out of the Old Testament. We're going to look at the book of Daniel, okay? And uh, Daniel, um, if you've been around church for a while, if I say Daniel, you say, you got it. You know it, Daniel and the lines. If you know nothing about that, you know, um, you know that it was a zoo experience gone wrong. You know it was that. And uh, so, and, but there's all sorts of cool stories in the book of Daniel. There's good old Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And, and there's all sorts of cool stories in there. We're going to be covering um, some of this over the next little bit. Um, but Daniel begins just right off the bat, straight punch in the mouth with a complete shift in culture complete shift in culture. They're there in Jerusalem doing their thing, worshiping their God, doing the best they can. These are people of integrity in this space. Now, Israel was not being a people of integrity as a whole, but there were some people of integrity that were in the middle of that. And guess what? The way that what happened to their nation happened to them. And so we're going to see how we can live contrary to popular opinion by looking at the book of Daniel. Let's go ahead and look at Daniel chapter one, verse one. It says, um, in the third year of the, of the reign of King Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Okay? Culture shifts when there's a new pressure that comes along. All of a sudden, things begin to besiege it. There's a current way of doing things, and there's an alternate way of doing things that comes in and begins to apply pressure there. That's the way it always takes place. Not surprised. There has been a consistent pressure against the, 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 the life in Christ. There literally always has been. It's not new. It's not in the last 25 years in America. There's been this pressure as long as there's been believers around the world, but we're experiencing it in a significant way here. And so all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar comes in, and with him, he brings a new way of doing things. This king doesn't say, hey, you know, you, you Jews, y'all are kind of cool. Teach me your ways. No, he's like, no, you're going to do it my way. I'm now the king here. I'm now the ruler of this. And he's like, I'm going to carry this in a new direction. And then we see in verse 3 that the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. He's going through picking out some of these guys out of their homeland and sending them back into the capital of Babylon, sending them back in there to serve. And he's getting the ones that, have the, of, that were raised with the, the royal families. These are people who are familiar with how to function in royal spaces. Why? Because they're gonna be sent to the, to the palace. And so all of a sudden, something that they had always felt was a privilege now ended up being something that sent them off and became a, a negative in their life. And he said, this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for young men without any physical defect, handsome, 
showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand. Man, he's taking all the husband material. He is getting them all out. This is what, this is what every, everyone was looking for without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for learning, well-informed, and quick to understand. Everyone wants a man, every woman wants a man that's quick to understand. And a qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. This shift, as they've been taken from their home, they're sent to a new place to function and to serve. The shift of culture, the shift of thinking starts with language and literature. How are we going to articulate ourselves? How are we going to speak? What are we going to speak about? All of that shows up in the way we talk. All of our values show up in the way we speak. And literature, what are we going to take in? Where are we going to find our information? What are we going to call fact in our lives? What are we going to say and how are we going to learn? All of a sudden begins to shift culture. And in verse 5 says, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And this sounds like, oh, man, yeah, they got a sweet buffet, open bar, all's good for these dudes. And so all's well. No, this was bad because this food was sacrificed to idols. This food was stuff that was unclean for them as God-loving Jewish boys. And they're like, they don't want anything to do. This was an affront to them. And they were to be trained for three years. I want you to notice that even an intense, fast-track culture shift was going to take a bare minimum of three years. That's when they had these guys captive. They controlled everything they ate, learned, talked about. And it was going to take three years before these Hebrew guys were going to be ready for this. Guess what? Culture shift changes over time. It's not one big punch in the face. Like, we can just be ready for this one big moment. No, it's little by little by little by little. If you're going to go contrary to popular opinion, this is the long race, folks. It's not like I can get ready and do this and I'm done it for a week. Glad that's over. No, this is years, folks. This is years. This is walking this out over years. And so we have to understand this. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. And among those who were chosen were some from Judah. It was Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, as we look at this, I want to just give you one little piece of information. Is Daniel, as we go through the book of Daniel, Daniel doesn't deal with just one culture change. Daniel deals and serves under five different kings of four different nations. Five kings, four nations. His culture was changing around him constantly. Constantly. And Daniel, over his 70 years, served God with integrity, brought blessing everywhere he was allowed to have a voice, and made people's lives better, even when they didn't understand what he was doing or why he was doing it. All of a sudden, that is living contrary to popular opinion. As we begin to look at this, we see that it takes, it makes a difference. 
See, Daniel learned to live by conviction. Daniel learned to live by conviction. When you learn to live for him, it doesn't matter what else is going on. You're not having to, to test the wind and see, oh, what are we doing here? What are we doing now? What's the, what's the, what's the cool thing? No, we, we're living for him. It can, the wind can blow this way. The wind can go black that way. It can go against us. It can go with us. It doesn't change. I'm moving forward with him. His king, his leader changed five times with five different nations. You know what? We're Americans. And if you're over the age of 18, you ought to be registered to vote and you ought to vote. I'm, I'm not kidding. You've been given that authority. You have that responsibility. You need to exercise it and use your personal convictions in that. Let the Holy Spirit guide you in that. But guess what? For us following Jesus, it doesn't matter who's president. It doesn't matter. Because culture can shift and things can go with us or against us or sideways or whatever, but we're moving forward with him. We're moving forward with him. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We see it in the life of Daniel. It didn't matter who was king. He, was, he knew he was serving the real king. He knew who the real king was. But then when, when this begins to shift, when culture begins to shift, popular opinion will try to change your identity. The very first thing it's going to do is try to attack your identity. Here in verse 7, it says, the chief official gave them new names. If you were to go to a rescue shelter and get you a cute little dog, and, uh, you know, and they at the shelter, they may call that dog, whatever, may call it sugar, you know. And you see that dog, and you're like, yeah, that don't, don't look like a sugar. That, that dog is, that dog is we're going to call that dog rowdy. <laughs> Not going to call it sugar. I'm going to call it rowdy. And then you take that dog, and you can do that because that's your dog. And that's part of you making it your dog. You're like, no, this is who you're. Go this is what you're going to respond to. This is what you're going to identify with. This is what you're going to connect with. And them choosing to change their names was letting them know that you don't belong to the people that named you anymore. The family and the people that raised you, you're not theirs. You're not theirs. Ignore them. Forget that. Forget that. You're now this. And culture will want to do that. Want to say, guess what? You know, what's happened in the past, well, we're, we're moving forward. We're, we're going this direction. This is now who you're going to be. And so I want us to look that it was significant when we see this because all four of these guys' names connected them to the God that they were taught about, served, and honored. And Daniel, Daniel's name means God is my judge. God is my judge. God is the one who I, that's whose opinion I care about. The rest of you, you're, I don't care what you have to say. God is my judge. Where'd my, where'd my other one go? Come on now. <laughs> there we are. And Belshazzar. Belshazzar means Baal protects his life. That's what Belshazzar means. Belshazzar means Baal. Baal was a foreign god. Baal was a pagan god. They would sacrifice babies to Baal. They was messed up. And so what they're sitting there and letting them know immediately is if you want our protection, you're going to find it in serving what we serve. Culture will always say, you want our protection? You want to be under our wing? You're going to have to serve what we serve. Hananiah, Hananiah's name means Yahweh has been gracious. God's gracious. God is gracious. Now, no, 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 no. Your name is going to be Shadrach, which means I am fearful of God. 
Not I can lean into God. I can come to him whenever. No, I don't want nothing to do with God. I'm afraid of God. I'm, I'm going to distance myself from God, immediately begin to reprogram them on how they connect with God. Mishael's name means, means who is what God is. That's what his name means. Who is what God is. Another way of saying that is who can compare with God. God is in a league of his own. And that was his mind. Every time somebody said his name, they reminded him, your God's bigger than anything you're going to come up against. That's what he had heard his whole life. Your God's bigger than anything you're going to come up against. Every time somebody called out his name. But instead they said, you know what your name is? Your name is you're despised, contemptible, and humiliated. Instead of thinking about how big his God is, there's thinking about how little he is, how, what he couldn't do. The enemy always wants us to begin to self-analyze and see that we can't do anything instead of saying there's nothing our God can't do. He always wants to begin to take us and shift us. And then Azariah means Yahweh has helped. Yahweh has helped. That God is my helper. I can lean on him and changed his name to Abednego, which means servant of Nebo or slave of Nebo. Instead of saying I can find help in God, it's now, no, I have to help this foreign God. No, that he all of a sudden changing his direction and culture, always popular opinion will want to take your opinion and, and, and conviction and commitment to God and minimize it or destroy it completely. See, when culture shifts, we have to know who we are. Verse 8 of Daniel 1 says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, this word resolved means he was committed to it. He was like, no, I'm not doing this. He got like, I put his foot down over it on the inside. But look what it says he did. It says, he asked, can I not do that? He didn't walk up to the buffet that they had laid out with all the stuff he's not supposed to eat and go, you can't make me eat this. I'm a Jew. You can't do this. Come on, fight me. You can't shove that stuff in my mouth. He, no, he was respectful. He was resolved and respectful. We will see this is the first hint of what it's going to look like for you and I to live contrary to popular opinion. Here's what happens. As we begin to have something come against our convictions in the carnal side of us responds to conflict with fight. Well, you don't like my Jesus? Come here, I'll punch you. Come here, I'll punch you. God loves you. No, he doesn't. Well, I'm going to slap you. God loves you, but I don't. Come here. Why don't you talk about my Jesus like that? He loves you. Quit bleeding on me. And so, and, and that is our carnal nature. We have a hard time having strong convictions and running into a place of tension and responding in love. And responding in love. And folks, that is what is going to make the difference. It's being able to place and have this resolute thing within inside of us and be respectful and loving and treating people with humanity treating people the way God sees them, even though they don't see us the way God sees us. That's what's going to change. That's what's going to make things different. See, living contrary to 
popular opinion will create moments of confrontation. All of a sudden, you're just going to hit it. It's just going to show up. That's the way it's going to go. My pastor, John, uh, who uh, raised me up, he used to walk through this scenario, and he said, you know, um, let's go back to the river thing. And, you know, you're in a river, and you're just floating downstream. You're just going along, you know. And then along comes this, you know, this driftwood, this little log, you know. And you get to quit striving. You get to quit. You get to relax, and you get to lean on the log. And you're just like, man, this, this is a good log. I'm glad this log is here. You're just floating along, and then all of a sudden you start to hear something. And it starts to get louder and louder and louder. And you look and you're like, where'd the water go? And you realize there's a terrible waterfall coming. All of a sudden, this nice, easy flow where I wasn't having to resist, I wasn't having to struggle, it was carrying me to imminent death. All of a sudden now, this, if I don't do something, it's now imminent death. And now this log, this driftwood that you were leaning on, that was all cool. And you begin to go upstream and you're like, no, I'm going, I'm going away from death into life. And now this log that you had no problem with before is now a you-seeking missile coming straight down the river. Now it's an obstacle. You never had any beef with it, never had any problem with it as long, and it didn't have any problems with you, and now it's about to mow you over as you are going the other direction. All of a sudden, when we begin to live contrary to popular opinion, things that had never provided any kind of conflict before provide a place of tension. Laying out some food for some people, then typically a fighting point. Like, here's some food. But it became a point of conflict. Let's go ahead and look at verse 9. It says, And now God had caused the official to show um, favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord the king who's assigned your food and drink. Um, Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? Um, the The king would then have my head because of you. And Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief... Uh, official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, says, please test your servants for 10 days. He said, I'm confident. I'm confident in my convictions. I'm confident if you'll let me do it my way, you're gonna, you're, it's not going to get you in trouble. You just borrow some of my faith. You give me room to exercise my faith and just watch and see what happens. Folks, there's some place where we're gonna have to have the rubber meet the road and say, all right, look, watch. Let me, let me do my thing and, and just see how this works, okay? And, just, and people are going to. They're gonna see. They're gonna watch. They're gonna see how things go. He says, and give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. It's the Beth Clark <laughs> meal right there. I, no, thank you. I want some ribs or something. Come on now. And so it says, and then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. I am so confident, oh my God, it will be faithful. You will see a difference. Can we, to walk contrary to popular opinion, we're gonna have to have that kind of faith. You watch and you'll see a difference in me. Watch and you'll see a difference in me. 
In verse 14, it says, and so he agreed to this and tested them the 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal foods. He lived contrary to popular opinion. We must respond contrary to popular reaction. We're going to have to respond in a different kind of way. I want us to look at Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Daniel did it in his day. Paul did it in his day. So you and I, we can do it in our day, okay? So Acts chapter 17, verse 16, you see, when Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Other translations says that he was very upset. He was very upset. Paul is seeing all of these foreign idols, and it just gets him cranked. He's just upset. And so now his, his buddies are like, okay, man, we're about to see Paul uncork. Let's get loose. Let's stretch. This is about to be good. And so we see that all of a sudden now Paul is going to respond to him getting upset with his tension. In verse 17, it says, and so he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks. Paul and him being upset stayed reasonable. For us to live contrary to public opinion, we're gonna have to have things that just go, that's not right, and we're gonna have to stay reasonable in the middle of it. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. He reasoned, they debated. He reasoned they got combative. And so he just stayed the course. And some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? The name callings start automatically. Um, Folks, I'm telling you, as you begin to just do this, people are going to call you stuff. People are going to say stuff. In this day and age where they can do it from a distance and don't have to be within a a good old arm swing of you, um, because you may not be that safe, they don't know. And so... And, um, and so, but they'll do it with their keyboards and they'll do it with their stuff. And we have to recognize that stuff's coming. If it happened to Paul, it's going to happen to us. Don't get your feelings hurt over it. Just recognize this is part of going contrary. And what's this babbler trying to say? And others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods and They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Man, he's just laying it on. He's giving them the truth. And then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. He's got upset. His his bros know he's upset. He now has the floor. He's there in this place. Everybody's listening to him. And man, he's about to just let them have it. He's about to blast them. He's about to go old school preacher and just thump them. Here we go. I can't wait for this. And then Paul stood up in the meeting of the Aparagus and said, people of Athens, you're going to hell. You people are messed up. You're serving foreign gods. You need to repent. Oh, wait a second. Let me read. That's what I thought he was going to say. People of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. He got upset because there's all these foreign gods and he opens with a compliment. He opens with, I see in every way 
you're very religious. He saw through the brokenness, through the lies, that they had a heart to understand that they needed something bigger than them. That they needed, that there was somebody bigger than them. They couldn't fix themselves and they were giving themselves to something outside of them. And he's like, you know what? That's a, that is the beginning, that's a good beginning step. I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I got really mad and I wanted to dump them all over. No, he said, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. And so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. He said, I see that you had an inscription. There's something you recognize you don't know and I'm here to tell you about him. You, there's a God you know you don't know, and I'm here to reveal him to you. That is why Paul, in all his stuff, and saying this is not healthy, this is not good, responded in such a caring, incredible way. Let's look at how he goes on. Verse 24, it says that the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. Okay, all of your stuff you've created, all your temples, worthless. That's what he just said. He did it in an appeasing way, but he let them know. Okay, and all that matters. He addressed all that stuff that just bothered him, Okay. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life. He's not trying to get something out of you. He's trying to give something to you. You have the wrong idea about God. He's not trying to get you to grovel. He's trying to give you life. He's a life giver. And so it says, uh, gives everyone life and breath and everything else. And from one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times and history and boundaries of their land. God knew you would live here and now, and he wants you. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him. He wants to be found by you. He wants to be known, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him... We live and move and have our being. Notice that's in quotes. And then we live and move and have our being. As some of our, your own poets have said, we are his offspring, also in quotes. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. He met them right where they were at. And see, early on, we talked about how the Babylonian language and literature was used to try to shift their mindset. Here, Paul understood their language and literature, and he met them right where they were. That, the reason that's in quotes is because in him we live and move and have our being. If you've been old school church like me, been around a long time, there's a song we used to sing right out of the Bible. In him we live and move and have our being. I, I'm the only one that knows that song. Okay, it's all right. And so, and the song right out of the Bible, guess what? Guess what? That was a song to Zeus. It was written to Zeus. And we have it in our scriptures. Why? Because who's the one that actually in which we live and move and have our being? Him. 
He's the truth. And so all of a sudden we say, no, 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 that ain't Zeus. We're going to cut Zeus off of that and we're going to put it on Yahweh. We're going to put it on God. We're going to put it on Jehovah where it belongs. And all of a sudden now something that some, somebody wrote to a foreign God is in your scriptures because the truth associated with it is true. And it goes with him. It's, it's also, also, that thing is, and we are his offspring. That's another quote from one of their poets. And he immediately, that's just that since we're his offspring. And we move on. That is Paul understanding, not isolated from, but understanding the culture in which he lived. It had been like Paul coming in to Permian High School in 1992 and talking to Brandon Clark and say, and it's just as, some, as one of your own poets has said, come as you are, as you were, as I want you to be, as a friend, as a friend, as a known enemy. Take your time. Hurry up. The choice is yours. Don't be late. And quote Kurt Cobain and Nirvana to Brandon Clark because I knew those lyrics and that truly, that refrain is the heart of God. Whether you think you're already a friend of God or you think you're an enemy to God, he says, come as you are, come as you are. Just don't be late. Just don't be late, come. Come in the season that is yours to come and that is your earthly mortal life, come. And the sooner you do it, the bigger the difference it makes. He was not isolated from culture. He understood it and began to make a difference. If we're going to live, we can't go and hole ourselves up and, and decide that we're going to be completely isolated from culture because we can't impact it. But we can't be impacted by it. So what Jesus tells us, Matthew 10, 16, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. We can understand what's going on. We can understand the things that are playing and still respond in a pure and innocent, loving way over and over and over again. And believers doing that, doing that is what, where the gospel has genuinely gone all over this planet, no matter the culture, no matter what was going on, is the, this gospel has gone in over and over again. It's found a foothold because it makes a difference over and over and over again. Our bottom line this morning is live contrary without being contrary. We don't have to get combative to live and go against the flow of culture. And to, be, to start that, it begins with just saying yes to him. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.